Hi, I'm Alexander Carpenter. Thanks for listening to Adventist Voices. I'm honored to share with you a conversation that I had with Paul Mugane, who has been a part of the Spectrum community for a while. If you've been to one of our conferences, he's that smiling face with very thoughtful questions. And in this conversation, I'm learning about his journey from Kenya to Minnesota and now in Southern California. And that journey includes a really interesting history. His father was imprisoned for being a freedom fighter during Kenya's struggle for independence from England and then became an Adventist pastor, very independent-minded, as you'll learn. He impressed upon Paul the importance of human dignity, human worth and justice, and advocating for those, those in need or without a voice. So you can tell Paul is a great human being. Uh, He went and studied psychology in Minnesota and then went to seminary at United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, which is an ecumenical seminary rooted in the United Church of Christ tradition, and that's where Paul got his master's in divinity. For a while, he pastored at an Adventist church in Minnesota, and then he moved down to the San Diego area where he lives now. He taught at an Adventist academy for a while, and then he became interested in clinical pastoral education and chaplaincy and is now an award-winning chaplain at Sharp Memorial Hospital in San Diego County. He won the Spirit of Caring Award there, and he continues to really impact that community in a very beautiful way. So I'm honored to share this conversation with all of you. It's part one of two. So thank you for listening to Adventist Voices. Yes, I do, Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter. And I'm honored to be joined by a guest who I have seen at many Spectrum conferences and who has been a part of our community for a long time. Paul, it's so great to be with you. Thanks for talking with us today. Hey, thank you for the invitation, Alex. Uh, it's uh, it's wonderful to be here. This is uh uh, Adventist Forum uh, is uh, an extremely important part of uh, my journey, and so it's good to be uh, to be a part of this. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're our theme for today is talking about journeys, and I'd love for you to kind of tell us about um, how you started out in your life journey. You combine a, a rich. Uh, focus on education and healthcare and pastoral ministry, and um, where where did all of that start for you? Yeah, I, I think yeah, probably the place to begin is um, 
I hear a story that uh, my mother told me, and it goes back to, uh, I guess, uh, when I was born. You know, my dad was already uh, an Adventist minister uh, at that time. Uh, when I was born, I had an aversion to crawling, you know, so I did not crawl as a baby. And I guess one Sabbath morning, I you know, I got up and I held my dad's hand and off we went to church. And I think in a, in a way she was saying, and I haven't seen you since. <laughs> so I just sort of latched onto uh, to my dad, sat at the front of the church as he preached. And of course, I don't recall this. This is a story that, uh, yeah, that I'm told. So I think my love affair here with the church and my love affair with God is definitely... Um, you're sort of um, couched in this place or bust in this place of uh, being uh, in a home that was rich in love and a father who was a minister and who was, I think, to a great extent, even the way that I practice ministry today in a setting that is not Christian or, or anything like that, it is so... Um, you know, guided or it's so um, you know, influenced by uh, you know, by, by my own dad. You know, so I'm one of those people who can say honestly that my father was my first pastor, and and to this day I miss him greatly. You know, uh, he's now of uh, uh, he's now been gone uh, quite a few years, and I still miss him greatly because he was he was a good pastor to have around, and he would and it was good to have my pastor be my dad as well. Yeah, uh, where was that? <clears throat> yeah, so I was uh, I was born in the country of Kenya. This is uh, East Africa. I was born a year after Kenya became a republic after it got its independence from. Uh, the British Empire or Great Britain, and is so one of the things that you know that influences me is obviously you know, the place that I was born, the kind of politics or the kind of uh, climate that I was born into. You know, uh, by the time I am born, the country is barely a year old. You know, so it's a pretty uh, pretty new country. But even I think more so, uh, more importantly, and connected to that is my own father, who had been detained as a political freedom fighter. You know, so we had sort of that, you know, that history. So growing up, there were these things that I would pick up about, you know, how important justice is, how important fairness is, you know, in that he would speak up. And a lot of times that he spoke up, it was it was to the detriment of him and the family uh, in general. Yeah, so, um, and also, you know, by the time my my parents got married, you know, my mother had to get a passport you know, to move from essentially one place to another within the same country because they by the time they got married it was during the time where a state of emergency had been declared by uh by Britain and therefore to move from place to place you needed you needed to have a passport. So you can imagine years later as I was sifting through some things and I find a passport with my mother's picture in it. And it says the reason she was moving from one place to the next was to get married. 
And that has to, that makes an impact. It injured me in a way that I did not know it did, you know, and and, and so you, I carry that. You know, and my, my father ended up getting a job as a civil servant, you know, and then um, for some reason, you know, which you know, one can call, I guess, providence, seeing that this is the way my life has panned out, he started doing corresponding in that voice of prophecy, you know, correspondence and agreed, you know, sort of assented or became convinced that the Sabbath keeping was important. And at that time, as the story goes, he had gotten a promotion at his work, whereby he would need to go to work at maybe one Sabbath every so often. So, of course, instead of doing that, he decided to quit altogether and you know, and left that. But even more importantly, and I heard this at um, at his funeral, you know, when one of the ministers who had him in his baptismal class saying how incredible it was that my father was in his baptismal class and then he was baptized and a few weeks later he was made the pastor of that church you know so the elder who had him in the baptist class now had him as his pastor so it was a it's sort of a, a sort of interesting thing so they are both you know things that influenced me as experience of of my parents but then when I'm born, when I was born, he was already a minister, and so uh, I am an Adventist by birth. You know, this is Adventism is the only mother I know. She birthed me. She has nurtured me, and whatever quarrels that I might have with uh, with my church, it is you know with the same regard as the ones that I endured with my mother while I was growing <laughs> up. In that, she's my mother, and I will honor her. But you know, even lovers have quarrels. Well, that's a beautiful metaphor, this idea of family and the debt we owe to the people who bring us into the world uh, mm-hmm. as a multi-generation Adventist. I really identify with that sense of, of honoring the tradition that I happen to be a part of. Mm-hmm. You ended up at a really interesting seminary. You didn't go to a traditional Adventist seminary. You went yeah. to United. And which um, comes out of a rich um, uh, ecumenical Christian tradition. Why did you choose that place to continue your exploration of what your faith means? Ah, yeah, thank you. Great question. Um, so to get to the seminary point there, you know, I have to go back to, again, growing up in this pastor's household you know, where there were things that I would take note of. There were things that I would be become aware of, um, as in, I think even in the Adventist church, that is strange. I think, you know, so for example, and I think by now this is you know, probably a benign example in the times that we're living in, but um, you know, when I was growing up, it was rare to hear of divorce, for example. You know, it was very rare to see somebody uh, out of wedlock and pregnant be baptized, let's say, for example. Um, But I remember this one occasion where there was this couple and they wanted to get married. And obviously here she was, there was no hiding how pregnant she was. And interestingly enough, um, 
the the older brother of the groom who was a prominent Adventist minister. Yeah. But they came to my dad. And I remember noticing, or at least noting to myself and putting it to the side and thinking, this is strange, even in the setting here that in the setting that I'm growing up in, because I hadn't seen that done before. And then later on, we were at a church, and I think I I realized that one of the elders in the church was a woman. And I think she was even the head elder. And I thought to myself, I think I don't think I have seen that, you know, anywhere else. So so I'm picking these things up as as I'm growing up. And also there were other awarenesses as well, you know, which was, and I think probably the one that rubbed me sort of, I didn't have the tools to deal with at that time, but it kept coming was this, was this notion of wanting to convert people to Adventism. Now I have nothing against that, absolutely nothing against that. But I thought that there was a sudden arrogance with which we went towards it. And these are my words, not anyone else's. There was a sudden arrogance in that we could convert others to Adventism, but they had absolutely 0% chance of converting us into whatever they were. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, yeah, and I thought that kind of doesn't sit right with me. And then this whole thing of, I would love to sit down with a person of Catholic you know, tradition and have a conversation where none of us is thinking about you know, converting the other and just to hear how is it, you know, how have our traditions helped us get to where we where we are. So with all those things in mind, when it came time to when uh, wrestling with, you know, do I really you know, feel called to ministry? And why can I not be just an accountant and go live a quiet life somewhere? You know, finally, I say, here I thought to myself, I am an Adventist. And I don't see that really changing. As I said earlier, you know, Adventist is my mom. You know, and so I, I decided, you know what? Okay, if I agree to go along with this call, then I'm going to go to any seminary other than Andrews. And then sort of my bargain with God it was, and then you open up whichever path that, yeah. and it was so interesting because in like my last class in my undergrad you know, degree, the professor you said, you know, you would be a perfect fit for United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, founded by the United Church of Christ. It was um, two seminaries, one from the Dakotas and one in Wisconsin. The one in the Dakotas used to still teach in German, you know, when they merged together and they settled into the Twin Cities. You know, and so I went there to look at it. And the person who you know, uh, did the recruiting for new students and you know, she was so wonderful. In fact, that when I graduated from seminary and I left, I told her, you know, by the way, of all these theological eggheads in here and all these ministers, you were probably the best pastor I have encountered in a long time, you know, which, you know, of course, you know, thrilled her to death. You know, so my choosing that place was not 
a revolt towards Adventism. It was seeking a conversation with people from other traditions. Because I am settled and well-grounded in my own Adventism, what would happen if I encounter a conversation with people who are likewise uh, situated in their traditions? And then all we do is have conversation that can enrich one another without the need of converting one to to another uh, uh, another belief system or another tradition that's uh, that's how i ended up at uh, united theological seminary which was yeah which was a fun, a wonderful uh, probably the best time of my life academically yeah that's a um a really great story in part because it helps uh me understand the ways that you are thinking about your faith and and also the ways that you wanted to grow and critique it but also minister you served as a pastor what was that like in an adventist church interestingly enough i i loved it i loved every aspect of the work uh, i don't think there was anything in the um in the realm of working in the church that I did not enjoy. You know, um, I loved it all. There were a couple of things that, um, as, you know, as you know, and again, for, you know, if I, I ought to be as honest as, as honest as possible, you know, again, going back to my, you know, to watching my father, you know, uh, as, uh, as he worked in Kenya, Ministers did not move because they were approached by a church and, you know, and asked, hey, would you consider coming to be a minister? In, in Kenya, at least in the conference that my dad worked in, or pretty much in the union, uh, East African Union, there's a committee that met and decided which pastor was going where. So it was arbitrary. It was random. It was anything but clear. And so every single time my dad would sort of sniff out some kind of injustice or unfairness going on and he would go and address it with the powers that be we would end up you know, being moved to some <laughs> some armpit um, um, of a place somewhere you know which you know, and of course and interestingly enough and i think this was also from uh, formative for me was in one of those occasions hearing my dad pray you know saying that I am being sent here as punishment. By the time I get there, you know, God, can you make it a call? You know, you know, which, which, you know, you know, for me, it was, you know, it blows my mind that, oh, you're so the only alternative here is not to be angry. You know, it's actually, you can, so that's, you know, when I talk about my dad is my pastor, that's what the, the kinds of things that I'm talking about. So even part of going to, um even part of going to united theological seminary was also a way of saying if i have been called to ministry i'm not sure i want to work for the church if the conditions are going to be similar to what i have witnessed in the past sure. but nonetheless you know if the door opens you know uh, i'll go and so it was it was wonderful i knew that i needed to uh, you know, sort of to win, to win the people over. It's very difficult. You know, you're brand new, and all of a sudden you start. Um, so, for example, the senior pastor wanted me to visit everyone in their homes in the first six months, and I had to say no. I'm not going to do that. 
Yeah, what I will do is I will do everything possible to know the people as much as possible. Yeah, and so I spent an incredible amount of money at Starbucks and Caribou Coffee and places <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I think there was a sudden freedom when I didn't go to people's places. And as they continued to trust me, uh, it ended up becoming a really wonderful, wonderful relationship. And when it was time to leave, it was really painful. But um, I enjoyed. And once I got to a certain place, you know, I could also you know, gently push, you know, and gently push. You know? So uh, I remember it, you know, towards the end, <clears throat> I, I was asking my church, to think about you know, the ecclesiology of that church, as in, not you know, in terms of can anyone come here and belong? Can anyone come here and find a place at this table that we call our Minnetonka church? You know, and so I named quite a few groups, you know, and including LGBTQ plus, and. It just happened that that day, that particular Sabbath, the ministerial director of the conference was visiting. <laughs> <laughs> and so he cornered me at the door as I'm saying hello to people, as the people are walking out, and he said, I'm going to pray for you <laughs> because your theology is bad, you know, something to that effect. And I thought to myself, whoa. And I do remember, and this was a learning, uh, a learning moment for me. I went home and I could hardly get out of bed. And you, know, my wife and I had planned to take our son somewhere, and I didn't go. You know, so they just went. And then somewhere around four in the morning, I thought to myself, "Wait a minute! Five hundred and fifty people came to church today." two services, both services ended up in applause when I finished. And I have let the voice of this one individual, you know, and I think that was another, you know, another moment where I say, no, I will not let a single individual influence me. Oh, my joy that much or still my joy that much, regardless of what position that uh, what position they hold. And so, yeah, that was another you know, sort of uh, you know, growing up. You know, as uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes growing up, you you take a lot of hits. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a really great story. I really appreciate you sharing that. And it sounds like you have a little bit of your dad in there, where you're. Um, <laughs> Willing to buck the system a little bit and, and represent your beliefs. Yeah. Um, so we're going to continue. We'll do a second uh, part of this. But I'm wondering when you reflect back on that journey, what was one of the lessons that you learned um, as you kind of made some geographical leaps, but also some theological leaps? When you think back on what um, what kept you going as you continue to explore the ways that you combine your professional success with your spiritual explorations? What have you learned from that first part? Yeah, I think, you know, um, there, there, are several, there are several things that go together and sometimes trying to see what kind of sense they make, you know, is because uh, I can look at one thing individually and say, okay, that makes sense. I can look at another, that makes sense. You know, but then 
you know, when I want to look at all of them together, there is, you know, it's lacking something. Yeah. So, for example, there is my theology, you know, like my understanding of God. Yeah. I want that to make sense. Yeah. But I have also been witness to a life of seeing people who, um, whereby there is incongruity between belief and practice. You know, and that, you know, that kind of, um, it's like, well, how can that chasm be uh, be uh, be limited? You know, and then the other thing is being born in a country that is barely a year old in independence. You know, shapes one in a certain way. Migrating to a, to a country that has the kind of race history that it has, it shapes you another way, and therefore, you know, there is this. You know, th consideration of anthropology, you know, and so, um, and then when we look at, you know, how whether it's in Kenya with the tribal things, you know, that uh, colonialism, you know, so uh, so well did, you know, or it's here with the, uh, you know, with uh, the uh, the the race history, there is how then can the biblical text call us to be a part of a beloved community? If we cannot, you know, so so my my thinking and my work has been very much you're know, trying to reconcile, you know, to to say is is a beloved community possible? Is um and how does it become, uh, you know, and how does it become possible? Yeah. You know, so um, I think it was um, uh, I you. Um, I'm forgetting his uh, his name a little bit. It'll come back to me. But uh, but the quote that he made us all familiar to was from William Augustus Jones, you know, who was uh, a minister in uh, in Brooklyn, uh, Baptist minister in Brooklyn for a long time. And in essence, you know, but in his book God uh, in the Ghetto or God and the Ghetto, you know, he's talking about. A faulty theology leads to a faulty anthropology, and a faulty anthropology leads to a, a faulty sociology. So my understanding of God guides my understanding of human beings. And how I understand human beings then it shapes how I order my society. And so and in each one of those things, if you just take them individually, you can sort of live but if they are to make sense then you know something has to happen so uh, a huge part of my work and uh, is is it possible here that my understanding of god can lead to the right understanding of you know human beings and that i can order my society in a way that does you know, then can lead to a way of that beloved community here. So um, for me, it's huge. And I don't think I just wrote a, um, I just wrote a, a few paragraphs for you know, one of our websites at work here you know, celebrating Black History Month. You know, and I, you know, one of the things I said was equity or diversity training or you know, cultural competence none of those things can really change the trajectory that the nation has always been on. The only thing that changes is if the anthropology is right, you know, whereby is this another human being with all the human 
you know, the, their humanity, you know, uh, given to them. So, um, so and you, you know, and you can apply that to different places, and we, maybe we can do that uh, next time. But it, that's that's sort of you know the the realm, you know, the realm where I work. Yeah. So for me, uh, transformation is is huge. Uh, conversion is huge. You know, conversion of from status quo to this is this is another me, and therefore deserves the same dignities and their humanity is like my humanity or is my humanity. So um, I don't know if that addresses a little bit. It does. Yeah. That I appreciate you drawing our attention to that, that kind of I thou connection that Martin Buber talks about that helps us remember that uh, so many of our misunderstandings are really based on a faulty uh, theology. Um, and one of the rich things that you make me think of is the fact that Christianity really draws us back to a central origin. And that means that we have a deep connection and so much of the colonialism that, you know, Kenya experienced is, is predicated on the kind of things that we experience in America and around the world, which is this attempt to really um, create barriers, uh, which are often driven by desires of for power. So, yeah. yeah, thank you for reminding me that Christianity has a role in in helping us actually understand what it means to be part of the beloved community. It does. It does. It's a it's a rich rich tradition. Yeah. Uh, just need to live it out. <laughs> well, that's a great way to end this. Thank you so much for talking with all of us today. And I look forward to chatting with you about more of your journey. Absolutely. Uh, great. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, look forward to it too. Thank you so much, Alex, again. Wonderful, uh, wonderful opportunity. It's uh, it, it's great to have this conversation, to share. And I hope that if somebody else can look at their own story or can find points of um, you know, contact with mine and you know, to also know that we're not isolated, we're there, you know, and maybe this is one place where we can come together to talk about this. Thank you. Yes. Creating community through conversation. That's what we do with Spectrum, as you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget.